If you have your Bibles today, uh, we're gonna skip around to a few different scriptures, but we're gonna start in Psalms 98. If you wanna get a head start, you can head to Psalms 98. And um, we, we right now, we're taking a couple of weeks as we start off the new year, revisiting some cultural content. A, a phrase I shared with you if you were here last week is something that God kind of put on our hearts as we started uh, Anchor Church uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, and it's this, this phrase essentially that uh, the culture that is built is more important or more impactful, more powerful than uh, individual sermons that we preach. And I don't mean to downplay the preaching of God's word by any means. It is powerful. It is effective. It's something we are called to do is to teach the word of God every time that we come together. Uh, we're gonna open scripture. We're gonna grow in it. But what is so much more impactful than a single sermon and, and what content can be communicated is the culture of what it means to be the body at anchor. And if we've got a culture of people that are pursuing holiness, a culture of people that take the, the word of God seriously and are growing in the word of God, that are people people of prayer, people of worship, people of expectation, people of generosity. You go down our seven core values, and this is not just values, but it's the culture that we believe that God is calling us to create. And when you are involved in a culture, it is so much more continually powerful in, in molding and shaping and directing uh, how we function than just information that is taught. So we believe that, that culture is also, uh, it's built by teaching, and so we're gonna continually teach cultural content. But we, we have a desire that there would be a, a, a culture of like what it means means to be here is we are growing in these values and we are we are a people that there is purpose, there is intention. We're not just kind of this routine where we show up in the building once a week until life's over, but there is there is purpose. We're looking to the future. We're building around these values. And so we're revisiting some cultural content these first couple of weeks. And it's the cultural content of, of worship and more specifically the expressions uh, the expressions of worship. Worship, uh, prayer and worship is one of our core values. We say it this way, uh, he's worthy. Why we do any of, of uh, the times of prayer and worship is because we serve a God who's worthy. We don't worship when we come together on Sundays because uh, we like the band, we wanna be entertained, uh, we like the songs. Uh, ultimately, we come because we have a God who is worthy and it gives us opportunities to express worship back to a God who is worthy. Uh, last week, we used this phrase, and note takers, you can write it down again, that worship demands expression. Worship demands expression. When there is anyone or anything that we care about, uh, that, that we value, that we love, that there is always a response, an expression of that care. If it is a person, if it is a, a hobby, if it is a team that you like, there is expressions of it. And so expressions are not what define worship, but expressions are the response to the worthiness of God. That when we, we, we've got a love for, we've got a, an experience with God and the gospel, that there will be a, a response that comes from it. Uh, the example we used again last week is, uh, you, you wear the team's logo or the team's colors, not so that you will love them, but because you cheer for this team, because you care for them, you begin to express it on the outside. So we're talking about expressions of worship. Um, last week, we talked about verbal expressions, how you can sing, how you can talk, how you can proclaim uh, worship of God. Today, we're gonna talk about physical expressions that we find in scripture of how we can express his worship towards him, the, the worthiness of God physically. Now, I'll revisit this again from last week. Some personalities in here are naturally more expressive than others. The volume, the facial expressions, the body language. Some people are a lot more reserved than other people. Some people are a lot more expressive than other people. And uh, what we're, we're teaching in these couple of weeks is not that everyone's should be the same level of expression. Uh, worship is not uniform. Worship is learning what is genuine response, the way that God designed me, what is a genuine way to express worship back to God. 
job. Um, and, and so it's not gonna be the same for everybody. This is not uh, fake, this is not forced. This is everybody has to do this exact same thing or it's not worship. It's not that at all. Uh, Jesus does say uh, that, that the Father is looking for those that will worship in spirit and in truth. And I think an application of that is what is genuine expression for you? For some people, it's gonna be a lot more demonstrative than others. It's gonna be a lot more reserved. And so we're not looking for everyone to express the same way. We are learning what the scriptures say are expressions of worship and how do we, the way God designed me, engage in expressing worship to him and it doesn't have to be the same for everybody. Uh, I also wanna say this before we dig into physical expressions. Um, sometimes expressions of worship uh, can be distracting. I've been in a lot of church in my day and I've been to a lot of services uh, of various styles and backgrounds and uh, I've seen some weird stuff in church. Uh, maybe you have as well. I've seen some weird expressions of worship. Uh, I deleted all the story time right here because it's not important, but I would love to tell you weird expressions I've seen. Uh, but sometimes expressions can be distracting that in environments like this, attention is no longer brought to God, but it's brought to an individual who's expressing themselves in a, a way that's just distracting. Uh, I want to say uh, that all worship and all expressions of worship are to bring glory and attention to God, not to individual. So we have to walk this tension of we are called to be expressive in our worship. We're gonna look at ways that we do that again today. But there's this tension of uh, we're gonna walk in a way that is genuine, that is worshipful, that is expressive, but is beneficial to all. Scripture is very clear that when we come together like this, that there is, there is ways that we are to engage and, and, and let the Spirit direct and lead, but it is to be orderly and beneficial to all. And as soon as we cross the line of the way that I'm expressing my worship is not orderly or beneficial to the people around me, I need to pump the brakes and say this is, this is not the time or the location for this expression because it needs to be in a way that's beneficial to all. Now the danger is, is then we don't do anything. There's no expression and, and, and so it's, it is attention that we walk through. So we're gonna talk through how do we be expressive but how do we make sure that attention is brought to God, not to ourselves. Today, five biblical ways to worship physically. We're gonna jump into these five, and some of these five may just be totally normal for some of you. Some of these might be a bit uncomfortable or different, or you don't know why. Maybe you even observe some worship today, and you're not sure why people are doing certain things. Uh, we're gonna talk through it, and I wanna say this before we even address what these five are, is we just need to come to this moment and recognize that God gets to define what is worshipful for Him. It's not us, it's not our comfort zones, it's not our personality that God gets to define. He gets to dictate his love language. Sometimes you've experienced this in relationships or marriage that someone's love language is different than yours, but the way to genuinely love them is you learn the way that they feel loved and honored and you adapt the way that you express it to them. I wanna say God gets to define what is honoring to him, what is worshipful to him. Maybe it's a little bit different or odd or uncomfortable or you're not experienced in it, but if scripture says this is a way that he feels loved and honored, we adapt to worship him. Because worship's not about how I feel. It's not about my comfort. It's not about what I get from it. Worship is about declaring the worthiness of God. And when we come to moments of worship, our goal should be what, what is it that expresses love and admiration and worship of him? And he gets to define it. I also believe that as we learn expressions of worship, we, again, we talked verbally, we'll talk physically today. Um, I think that for some of us, Maybe there's been worship moments where we're, we're engaged in church services like this or others, and uh, we've kind of held back expressions because of the way that we feel or our lack of understanding of why. And, and, and I believe that um, for some, 
as we understand how God feels worshiped and loved, that when we engage in those ways, it's gonna unlock a connection and relationship to God that we haven't experienced before. I think for some of you, you've been in church for a while and there is ways that you can connect in worship of God that's gonna unlock new levels of intimacy with him because you are learning to engage in a way that he desires and it changes something in the relationship. And I'm excited to dig into this today. Uh, So we're gonna go number one for note takers. Uh, We worship or we express the worthiness of God with instruments. Now, not, I know not everyone is musical, but we gotta dig into this because it is so prevalent in scripture that one way that we worship physically is through instruments. Uh, lots of scripture we could go to in all of these points. I just whittled down a couple to each uh, to support these. Psalms 98, starting in verse four says, shout to the Lord, all the earth, break out in praise and sing for joy. Sing your praise to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and melodious song, with trumpets and the sound of the ram's horn. Make a joyful symphony before the Lord, the King. He's talking about worshiping, not just with song, but with harp, with trumpets, with a horn, with a symphony. I don't know how many instruments you gotta have together to make it a symphony, but it's a few at least. Uh, This is saying multiple instruments, different sounds and musicians coming together, using the instruments to bring praise to God. Psalms 50 says it this way. Praise the Lord, praise God, in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty heavens, praise him for his mighty works, praise his unequaled greatness, praise him with a blast of a ram's horn, praise him with the lyre and the harp, praise him with the tambourine, hello 90s charismatic church, Uh, and dancing, Uh uh-oh, praise him with strings and with flutes, praise him with the clash of cymbals, praise him with loud clanging cymbals, let everything that breathes sing praise Praises to the Lord, praise the Lord. These and other texts we can go to, uh, I can't read without recognizing that God likes instruments and he likes to be worshiped by people coming together and playing their instruments in a way that is honoring and worshipful to him. We talked a lot about song and singing last week, but the instrumental part of it is worship. It's not just the words that are being sung, it is the music that is being played that brings worship to God. He likes instruments. And I can't help but recognize a few things in here that, uh, that, that speak to volume. He says the blast of the ram's horn, not like a quiet reserve toot toot, like a blast of a ram's horn. He says clashing, loud, clanging cymbals. Like God likes drums that are loud. Some people don't. It seems as though that God does. Now, in our, our setting, we want to be reasonable. We want to be sensitive. We want to be respectful of volume. And we're trying to do what we can with volume in a gymnasium like this and speakers that are not permanent. And when we do have drums, we set up a drum cage. Like we, we don't want to hurt anybody. We're not trying to make this painful to be at church. In fact, one of our priorities is how can we eliminate any distraction from engaging in worship of God? And volume can be that. But I can't read this and see that God wants a quiet, somber, silent church. He likes volume. And he wants instruments and drums and and all these layered sounds and song on top of it that he decided that that is something that brings him delight. That is something that brings him worship. It is a way to express love for him is the engagement of music. Psalms 33 
Verse one says, let the godly sing for joy to the Lord. It is fitting for the pure to praise him. Praise the Lord with melodies on the lyre. Make music for him on the 10 stringed harp. Sing a new song of praise to him. Play skillfully on the harp and sing with joy. I just wanna highlight this for a moment. He says, uh, not only do I want instruments, I want you to sound good. <laughs> he wants us to play skillfully. Uh, it's a desire of him that uh, we would be people of, that are musical, musicians, instrumentalists to play well, that whatever level of skill you're at currently, to worship him with that, but get better. He wants skill. Uh, I just wanna pause for a moment and say, we are absolutely spoiled by the musicians that lead us every week into the presence of God. The talent, the skill, you guys are amazing. I also wanna highlight that um, these are not people that are just looking for a stage and a spotlight. To be on the worship team, to be on uh, this team playing your instrument or back on tech, uh, what most people don't see is they show up at 7 a.m. and begin pulling out tarps and pulling all of this gear out of closets and running cables and, and working incredibly hard before an instrument is even plugged in. And then when this is over and everyone is having conversations and leaving, guess what the band gets to do? Wrap everything back up, put everything back away in closets and last to leave. I, I wanna tell you that um, our, our team of musicians, the people that lead us in worship, they serve far more hours that are unseen than they are on stage for these small amount of times leading us in the music each week. Uh, they are incredible servants that we all benefit from. And they're learning songs, they're practicing throughout the week. And there's so much that goes into this that we don't see for those few moments where we get to walk in and we just get to experience the, this, this moment of song and of engaging in the presence of God. Um, I wanna again thank all of our musicians, all of our skilled uh, worship leaders and our tech team. Would you just thank them one more time? So grateful for our team. And I want to say that uh, via this text and others, that there is a, a standard that we do feel is, is not inappropriate, a standard of skill when it comes to leading the body in worship. Um, because again, one of our highest priorities is that we, by serving the Lord and serving the body, create a, a, a distraction, as, as minimal distractions as possible to engage in the presence of God. Uh, maybe you've been in a setting, uh, in a worship setting where it's tough to engage because it's a bit distracting because of the lack of skill or standard that is present. Uh, whether it's just the vocals just aren't quite there or uh, the band isn't playing together or that drummer just loves what he's doing and it isn't jiving with everybody else or, or the lyrics on the screen are misspelled and all you wanna do is fix the punctuation and you're not worshiping God in that moment because these things weren't done well with attention to detail, weren't practiced, weren't thought through. And it can be really distracting when things aren't done at a certain skill level. I wanna tell you that, that we have a desire as a church to all the forms of worship in leading these moments to be skillful, not because of a performance or to impress, but because we want to in, engage and serve the Lord as best as we can. We wanna engage and serve the body as best as we can. 
And by eliminating distractions, it creates opportunities where it is much easier for us to engage in these moments of worship. So we want to have a certain level of skill and continually growing and getting better and honor the Lord and honor the body through this skill set that is, is there. And God deserves our best and we love our church and we want our church to have the best. And so we're, we have a level of skill that we believe God is calling us to hold some level of standard to. And so uh, we want to be uh, be responsible with the skill sets that we do have and the talent that God has brought, and we want to continually grow and get better. It's amazing looking through scripture. You can see all the different artisans and different leaders and, and people who are uh, leading in, in not just in music, but in uh, architecture in the temple. Like God is always saying like, I'm gonna gift certain people to take the lead because their skill set is, is gonna be honorable to me. And he's creating us with different gifts, different skills, and ways that we can serve the body uh, at a high level. Uh, so one, we can worship God through instruments. Number two, uh, we worship or express the worthiness of God by clapping. For some of us, that is as instrument as it gets. Like, I am not going to have a guitar. I'm not going to have a keyboard. Like, I, I can clap. That's my instrument. Uh, Psalms 47 says it this way. Come, everyone, clap your hands, shout to God with joyful praise. He's saying everybody, a form of worship is, is clapping. Why would he want us to do this? Verse two, for the Lord most high is awesome. He's the great king of all the earth. Why do we clap? Because God is awesome. Because at its base level, the reason that humanity, it's wired inside of us to put our hands together is in moments of admiration, in moments of celebration, in moments of approval. What we do as humanity when something awesome happens in front of us, I don't know why, it's wired in our DNA, but we put our hands together when something cool happens. We do it for all sorts of things. You should just catch yourself this week what, it, what simple things you find yourself clapping about. Uh, my, my son and I, uh, Finley, we had, we had breakfast recently and he's a big biscuit guy and we had these biscuits in front of us and he was really excited about it and we both took a bite of biscuit at the same time and it was really good and we set it down and it's kind of become a joke to both of us because simultaneously we looked at each other, we enjoyed the taste, we, we sat it down and we both went and just clapped our hands and we just started laughing. I don't know why a good tasting biscuit made me clap. We find ways of approval and admiration and celebration. The way that we respond is, is we clap. When someone does something well, our response is to, to clap. Let me remind you that God is pretty awesome and he's done some things pretty well. There are moments where we sense what he is doing in our midst. There's moments where we recall and, and we, we, we set our minds on who God is and what he's done and what he's up to. And a natural response for us in those situations is to put our hands together and clap. It's not odd, it's not abnormal, it's the way that we were designed, we do it all the time. And God says, I made you that way because it is a way that I experience worship from you, I experience love from you, is when you clap, when you recognize some of who I am and the power of my presence. I wanna tell you that um, clapping is not just an instrument, although it can be that, and it's not just a form of keeping the beat, which it can be that, but thank God it's more than that because some of us can't even do that. Uh, but what clapping is, is there are moments where you just sense the awe and the wonder and the amazingness of our God and something's stirring inside of you. of like, man, he's so good. And a way that we can express that emotion, that feeling, that worship is through clapping. 
I want to tell you, as we did last week, uh, we talked about how uh, we don't stop worshiping when the band exits the stage and then worship is over, that we continually expressing the worship of God through, through this time of preaching, through teaching. I want to tell you, just like last week when we talked about engaging verbally, um, not as a compliment to the person who's speaking, but as engaging in agreement with worship of God, uh, that clapping can be that form as well that there are times where the, the, the gospel is being preached and we consider these truths of who God is and we recall what he's done in our lives and we begin to have stirring inside of us how amazing our God is. There is a proper response in gatherings like this to actually put our hands together and clap. And let me be very clear on this again. I'm not asking you to applaud and approve the person who is speaking. But what I am saying is a way that God designed us to corporately continue worship of him is when we are declaring the truths of who he is and you're feeling that inside of you, the way that we can get it out is we clap in those moments. Not to say you're doing well on stage, but to say, God, you are amazing. And there's an agreement with what is being declared about you. And I wanna express worship alongside of the body who is believing and agreeing in these moments that we can continue worshiping through the clapping of our hands. You've experienced it before. I think it happened today, either at the end of a song or at the end of a service. There's like, there's something inside of us where we respond with clapping. I wanna say it is proper, it's appropriate, and actually, it is a command that we worship God at times through clapping. I wanna tell you at the end of a service, when we put our hands together and we clap, it's not saying, well done people on stage, you entertained us today. We're saying, God, you were here. And I, I acknowledge who you are and what you've done. And I just, this has been such a special moment with you and you're so awesome that I will respond in the form of clapping. A third way that we can worship or express the worthiness of God is through dancing. Yeah, we went there. This one's odd, this one's uncomfortable. And I'll probably say this a couple times in the next few minutes. Uh, here's kind of the, the, uh, what I'll um, make this safe for us in this, this context. We need to acknowledge the time and the culture with which God has placed us. We are in Western Montana. We are not in other parts of the world. We're not, like, this is where God placed us. And any expression needs to, to be beneficial within the context that God has placed us. Some forms or expressions that would be beneficial in other cultures wouldn't be so much here. So I'm gonna say we, we do need to understand where God placed us and what is beneficial to all. So culture does play into this. But um, scripture is pretty clear that dancing is a very uh, consistent expression of worship of God. I think it's challenging for us in our culture um, because if we were honest with each other, we're insecure. I mean, that's why it's weird because we dance. You do dance, you just don't do it here. You don't do it with anyone else around. Like we're, we're wired to dance. The reason we don't is we're just insecure people. It's uh, interesting, I love uh, Brene Brown's research on vulnerability. And she just says like two of the most vulnerable positions we could ever place ourselves in is being naked and dancing. Like these are the top two most vulnerable, insecure places for us. But you know what's crazy is that these are learned vulnerabilities, learned insecurities. Because babies, you see a baby and a beat comes on, it doesn't matter who's around there, just bouncing and they're smiling. Everyone's like looking and pointing and they're just going for it. And they'll do it naked, like it's fine. Like, well, it's, I'm not insecure. Like we learn to be insecure. And it's not just those babies, you were that baby. You did it. You learned to be insecure in these moments. Now, 
I think there's probably some health in that at some level, but uh, we, we learn these insecurities. Look at this scripture, uh, Psalms uh, 149 verse three says, praise his name with dancing. Just that simple, praise his name with dancing accompanied by the tambourine and harp for the Lord delights in his people. This is so amazing. Why can we dance in worship before God? Because he delights in us. When we understand the God of the universe created, designed, loves us, is near to us, is looking at us, is approving of us, when we understand that we are accepted by God, insecurity begins to fade. Because I've got the approval of, of my father, of my creator, that when I understand that I delight him, that insecurity begins to diminish. So we can find ourselves getting a little more free in our expressions of worship because we're finding ourselves more secure in the love of the Father. The more secure we are that we have a God who knows us and who loves us, the more our insecurities will fade. The dancing, the becoming more free in, in our worship of Him begins to impact uh, our expression. I wanna say not only is uh, dancing biblical, much of the world uh, is probably the, one of the more common forms of expressing worship is, is dance. I think much of the world, we could have a conversation on a Sunday afternoon and tell them we went to church, and uh, if they knew that we didn't break a sweat, there would be some issues. <laughs> like, you went to church and you didn't break a sweat. I don't think you went to church. Like, I just think... Like, it's a form of, of worship. I've had uh, the privilege of being in some, some different cultures and experiencing different churches. And uh, I'll never forget this time I was in Africa in this little remote village full of poverty and people are walking miles to come to church. And uh, it was just uh, poles with no walls and a covering, a little roof and uh, a janky sound system. And uh, these people come and worship starts and it keeps going and it keeps going and it keeps going. Cause they're like, we walked miles, we're not here for an hour and 15 minutes and then we're gonna go grab some lunch. Like we are here to worship God together. Like they come and they spend all day. Worship is going and clearly their culture uh, was much more expressive and, and dancing throughout worship. And then uh, I remember the pastor came up and he had a little platform with a box on it and he sat it in the front of the, the middle aisle. He just sat it down and walked off and everybody knew what to do. Uh, this was a sign, it was the offering box. And everybody in the seats went to the edges of the room, out the sides and then to the back of the room and were lining up at the back of the aisle and the band's still playing. And uh, they just started one by one dancing down the aisle. Uh, it was like a, a wedding processional and a wedding dance circle, which is so awkward for us, right? Like, don't push me in there. Like, no, you do. But like, they're, uh, they're into it. And they just one at a time starts dancing down the aisle and everyone else is like, hey, hey, hey. And this is in church and they've got their offering and it's just like up in the air and they're dancing down the aisle. And then they get to the front and they throw it in the, in the box, but most of them only put like half of it in there because they wanted to take a second lap and uh, do it again. And we just spent so long worshiping through song and through dance and through giving. And it was like, this is what we showed up for. Now, I know that that might be a bit odd in, in our context. And I'm not suggesting that we're gonna do that next week or at the end of the service today. Uh, it, we need to understand the culture that we're in. But I would like to, to propose, what if, the culture that is odd is ours. What if we are the ones that learn to be insecure worshipers instead of confidence in the approval of our Father 
and the delight that it is that he is here in our midst, regardless of how much we have or we don't have, God is here. And I'm here with my brothers and sisters and we've got an opportunity. Why are we looking at the watch at how quickly we can get out of here? We've got a chance to worship God and he is approving of who I am and he is my father and I'm gonna express worship back to him. So I don't know exactly what that looks like here because one of us starts doing that distraction immediately and we're not gonna cross the line of distraction. But where is, the, where is the line of there is freedom to not be worried about what people think, but to be expressive of my father who loves me? What's it look like to us express worship physically? Number four, we worship, we express his worthiness through kneeling. Maybe you saw some of this even in the room here today through, through kneeling. This is a common response to the arrival of the presence of God all throughout scripture. So many stories, whether it's Isaiah or Peter or on and on where the presence of God shows up and the response is to bow, is to kneel. Because it is a natural human response when you're in the presence of power, in the presence of authority, in the presence of royalty. When you come to these moments, a natural proper response is to bow, to kneel to come before them. Look at these scriptures, uh, Psalms 95, six. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. New Testament, 1 Corinthians 14, 25. As they listen, their secret thoughts will be exposed and they will fall to their knees and worship God, declaring God is truly here among you. Sometimes the response to the arrival of the presence of God in our midst is a response of kneeling. Well, there will be times where yes, worship might be loud and rowdy and cymbals and dancing and clapping, but there's also moments where we recognize the power that is in our midst. And there is a humility that comes over and say, I'm not here, I'm not here for, for a show, for a party, for entertainment. I'm here and I'm in the presence and the holiness of God. And the response to that is, is kneeling. Now, I know for some people, maybe kneeling is, is, isn't a great option for you physically. I wanna say, uh, in all of this, the heart posture being the predecessor of the physical posture is what's important. What's going on in your heart? And I would say that there are other similar postures to kneeling that maybe are more reasonable. Um, I'll say for one, sometimes there's not a lot of room in where you're sitting or this floor is really hard. It's a wood gym floor under a tarp. Uh, it's not the most convenient for, for kneeling. I'd say that I think there's other postures. I think a similar posture that can have the same heart condition is just sitting down. Some of you, uh, you're new to church or you're new to anchor. You don't know what culture is or expectations. I just wanna relieve some maybe unnecessary pressure on you. It is okay to sit down when it seems like everybody else is standing. It's not irreverent to sit down. Sometimes the most reverent thing you can do is saying like, I'm not just gonna follow along with what's happening around me. I need to just sit and I'm gonna focus on the presence of God, that it's not about words on a screen anymore. There's something special going on in this moment. And the best way that I could express worship to God is I'm just gonna sit down for a moment. I'm gonna have this, this, this time where it's not about show. It's no one's even looking. I'm just gonna experience the presence of God in this moment. Similar to a kneeling posture, it's just sitting down. I wanna tell you, it's okay. And sometimes it's actually what you should be doing in worship is just sitting down and having a heart posture of kneeling, a physical posture of sitting. I think another way that we express these similar uh, another posture that expresses a similar uh, heart posture is just the closing of our eyes. There's times in worship where, you know what, the most worshipful thing you can do is you just close your eyes. It, it just eliminates distraction. It's again, not being about what's happening on the stage or what words are on the screen. I'm just focusing in on the special moment with my Lord. 
that there are moments of passion and moments of intimacy where it's just, we just close our eyes and focus. It is, again, how we're designed. In moments of, of passion, moments of intimacy, we close our eyes. Like when you go in for a kiss and the kiss is getting more passionate, you don't get like more bug-eyed the more passionate the kiss gets. <laughs> At least we don't. If that's you, you do you. Uh, but in moments of like passion and intimacy, it is our design that we just close our eyes and it heightens this moment. I wanna tell you that sometimes in worship, one of the most physical postures that is demonstrating the most worship in that moment is you just close your eyes. Maybe you just sit down and you close your eyes. It's not about what people are thinking. Maybe they think you're not, who cares what they're thinking? Like you are having a moment with the presence of God by the closing of your eyes. Number five. Our final today, we worship or express the worthiness of God through raising our hands, through raising our hands. Again, you probably saw some of this in our church here today. What does this mean? Why do people do this? Uh, a couple of verses first, Psalms 134, one and two. Praise the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who minister by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. New Testament, 1 Timothy 2 eight. in every place of worship. I want men to pray with holy hands lifted up to God, free from anger and controversy. I want every place of worship. I want every community gathering like this. I want every one of them to be full of people. And in this context of saying the men, I want the patriarchs of the communities and of their families. I want them showing their families what it means to surrender and worship to the Lord. I wanna see men and women and families in every gathering lifting their hands in worship of the Lord. Maybe the question is like, why would we raise our hands? And I actually know that this is an odd gesture for some of you. I've had the conversations uh, with some of you of, of why do we raise our hands or based on the church that you grew up in or the lack of church history that you have, uh, it, it's odd or it's different or it feels, it feels uh, uncomfortable or, or why are people doing this? I wanna give you three quick sub points on why God would have us lift our hands in worship. Uh, number one, lifted hands are an indication of surrender. It's the universal sign of I'm not fighting back. I surrender. You know, it's the first thing the cops try to tell a criminal is put your hands up, let me see them. Like you, you, you don't have a weapon, you're not fighting back, you're putting yourself in a posture of, of surrender. Uh, maybe a, a less intense situation with, with, with our kids. I just love tickling our kids. And it's so much fun to just have them like raise their arms and just like start coming in closer and closer and closer and seeing how close you can get before they bring their arms down because it is such a vulnerable posture. The one reason why we raise our hands in worship is we are communicating a posture of surrender. I'm not resisting, God, I, I'm here, surrendered to you, vulnerable, that what you have in mind, I, I'm not fighting back, I'm not resisting, I'm surrendering to what it is that you have in store for me in these moments. Sometimes the lifted hands are a posture of submission, a posture of surrender. Secondly, lifted hands are a position of receiving. When something is being given to you uh, in order to take hold of it, you have to put your hands out and receive it. Uh, obvious analogy is, is in football, there is a position that is literally called the receiver. And a receiver uh, can do everything right. Like they could line, know the play, line up in the right spot, get a good jump on the snap, create some distance from the defender, uh, run the route perfectly, turn and look at the ball that's being thrown to them. And it does them little to no good if all of that was done well and they never put their hands out to receive. If there was never an expectation that the ball was coming their way. Like there's the lifted hands is I believe, I'm expecting and I'm ready to receive what's being thrown my way. Now I know this analogy breaks down at some point, 
But I believe that uh, coming for the Lord with a heart posture, again, more importantly than a physical posture, of, of being expectant to receive. I wonder how often we can come to settings like this and it's like, well, I'm running the right play, I'm in the right seat, the songs are playing, I'm singing along, and it just doesn't seem like I'm receiving anything. I wonder how often we never get ourselves in the heart posture or the expectation mind frame of God is actually gonna do something in my life today and we don't open up. I say lifted hands are a way that you're saying, God, not only am I, am I surrendered to you, but I'm ready to receive that. I believe that you are here, you know me, you know what's best for me, you're in control of this life. And I'm just putting myself out there right now saying not just externally, but internally, I'm ready to receive all that you have for me. I think far too often there's a response of, of going to church and like, well, that was nice, that was good, I liked this, I didn't like that, but I didn't really feel like a lot impacted me, I didn't feel fed, you know. It's a common phrase that's often stated from churches, it's just, I'm not getting fed. Now, I'll say this, I think that there is a significant responsibility on the church, on preachers, on musicians, on teams to prepare and be ready and to be skilled and to serve up something. I think that the role of a shepherd that it talks about in scripture is to lead the sheep to water, to lead them to food. Uh, I think that there is a high responsibility on the church to come prepared in moments like this. But I think far too often the church gets accused of not bringing enough to the table from an audience who never put themselves in a position to receive, who showed up with no expectation who showed up just saying, well, I just hope the preacher brings a fire word today or else uh, I'm not gonna get anything out of it. Or and they're not singing the songs. They're like, I wish they had the drums. I'm a full band kind of guy. Or why isn't it acoustic? It's too loud in here. And all these things begin to detract on our ability to receive. What if the culture of Anchor Church was we show up and certainly I hope the message is good and I hope that it's songs that I like and I hope the band is, is on it today. But what if the expectation was I'm gonna show up and doesn't matter what any other context of the setting is, I know God is here and I'm ready to receive anything he's got for me. And it's not because of the song they sang, it's because I was in his presence and I was ready to receive. What if every time we come through these doors and going along with the analogy, our hands are up, we're in position, we are expectant. And maybe it wasn't the best sermon. Maybe it wasn't the guy that we like to preach the most. And maybe it wasn't the band that we liked the most, but it didn't matter because I showed up believing that God was here and he was gonna speak to me and he had something for me. And I leave out here fed every single time because I showed up expectant. Lifted hands are a sign of receiving. And finally, as the band joins me, lifted hands are an expression of victory. It's the winner whose hands get lifted up. It's when you cross the finish line in victory that hands go up. Raised hands are an expression of victory. Now we could talk about all kinds of stuff. I wanna whittle it down to this one thought in this one verse. First Corinthians 15, 57 says this, but thank God, he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. What's before this is the reality that we lost. Sin got us all. And the consequence of that sin is certainly difficult consequences on this earth, but it is a consequence of death. It's hell, it's separation from the presence of God forever. We had lost. This was my future, this was your future, was death and hell and separation from God. But thank God 
that we actually do have the victory, not because of who we are or what we've done, but thank God that we have victory over sin and we have victory over its consequences, most importantly, the consequence of death. And we have this victory because of what Jesus Christ has done. This is the gospel. That we approach the end of our days and when left to ourselves, we had lost and there was no way to save ourselves. The bell rings and our hands get lifted as the victor because what Jesus had done, and it's not just victory over the small things in this life, it's victory over the ultimate enemy of death. Let me remind you, there is no greater victory that we could experience. And all the things we celebrate in this life, and I pray that there are so many victories, so many reasons to clap and to shout and to sing and to dance and to raise your hands on this earth in this life. I hope you have a lot of them, but they all pale in comparison to the victory over sin and over death. I don't know, when I just start thinking about the victory that I didn't deserve, but has been given to me, the sin that could so easily rule my heart, you can so easily look back to your past and see where you were and the sin that had you captive, the greed, the anger, the lust, and to know that Jesus provided a victory when I could not get out on my own. And that the consequence that I deserve is not the one that I have to pay because Jesus paid it for me. Man, that victory, it just wants to draw some worship out of me. And when I consider that, it really doesn't matter so much what the people around me think anymore. Because I won. I, I won. Like, why would I not celebrate what God has done for me? If you're willing and able, would you stand with me? band's gonna lead us in, in one last song and it's gonna be an opportunity for us to respond. And again, I wanna make it clear, this is spirit and in truth that there is not a, a forced obligation to express in a certain way. We've been given a victory from an awesome God. And I, I can't help but realizing that expression gets pulled out of us when we recognize how worthy our God is. I wanna tell you that's um, similar to how we closed last week. I absolutely am in love with Anchor Church. I adore this church. I think it is so incredible, the culture that has been established in the last uh, little over two years. I think it's amazing when we worship together and there is, there is such, I mean, this morning was such a sweet moment of worship together. So I say this, not as criticism, but only as vision. I wanna tell you that I believe that the church that God has, called us to build and culture he's called us to build. The church that I see, it's expressive and it's not forced and it is not weird. It is orderly, it is beneficial for all, but we are a people that show up and we are expectant of what God is doing. We are people with so much faith and such a high view of the gospel and the grace that God has poured out that it pulls worship out of us. And some of us will be more expressive than others and no one is judging anybody, but we will be an expressive church. I'll tell you the church that I see has people shown up and the weight of this week is just thrown out and say, God, I surrender all of this to you. It is the people who show up and say, I, I felt defeated this week, but I'm just reminding myself that I have victory over sin and death and I am the victor here today. 
I just, the church that I see, not being weird and getting attention for yourself, but there are people kneeling in open spaces that it's not uncommon for people to walk to the front, not to be seen because there's space to kneel down that there are moments in worship and moments in preaching where clapping just happens because God is so good, not because the talents of the room, but our amazing God. I'll tell you the church I see, just can't wait for moments of experiencing the presence of God in worshiping. This, the timing of this is, is, is pretty great. This Wednesday, we've got a prayer and worship night. Uh, it's gonna be where the kids are uh, right now. It's seven o'clock right through there. And this isn't to pressure or manipulate you into being there. Uh, but I want to say the church I see packs out prayer and worship nights. Like we just, this is what we, it's what we live for. We'd walk miles for this. We'd stay three hours. Like we're, we're here to worship. And the church I see brings their families, brings their kids, saying culture's teaching you all types of stuff. I'm going to show you what it means to worship our God together. And we're going to pray with our spouses. We're going to be praying over our kids. We're going to be praying with family members that we've never met before, but are part of this body. And we're going to be expressing the worship of God. And there's, it's not about what people think. It's about we are here with a Father who approves. The church I see is always asking, when's the next worship night? Because there's just so much power and beauty in moments in His presence. Father, we love you. We worship you in these last few moments we have together today. Let us be a people that worship in spirit and in truth. We love you. We worship you. We're going to sing one last song. Let's worship, and, uh, and then we'll dismiss.